0: Good evening, uh, my name is Przemysl Pela, I'm the uh, head of the Czech Centre, it's a pleasure to welcome all of you here. I think you made the right choice, even though it's been tempting seeing the beautiful weather outside and staying somewhere in the beer garden or the wine garden, uh, but you're coming here to, to celebrate and uh, mark uh, lunch uh, of, uh, should, should say, the English edition of marvelous book, uh, The Lake. I'm very pleased that I can welcome here the, the author and writer, uh, Bianca Belova. Part of the introduction, that I thought, if I might say, uh, Bianca's journey was not really straightforward uh, to become the aspiring uh, writer and, and author. Probably something similar like uh, some of the characters of her books uh, You know, Bianca was born in the Czech Republic, having some uh, Bulgarian roots, Uh, but I think by education she has uh, studied and graduated from the Prague School of Economics. Uh, Then she was translating and interpreting, and I think there was the motherhood that kind of made her to stay home, not to be at the regular job. Maybe after that it was the initial spark. maybe to, uh, with the creativity, and start to write the books. So the the sentimental novel being the first one, imprinting some of her uh, kind of uh, childhood memory from Bulgaria, uh, and her and, and her mother, if I'm not not mistaken, and uh, she's is a very accomplished writer today. is having five uh, five novels. Uh, the the one which we're gonna be talking today this evening has been also received number of awards, including the European Prize for Literature, but also the. Top Czech literary prize, uh, Magnesium, uh, Magnesium Litera in 2016. And uh, some of her books uh, might be a little apocalyptic. Uh, and now, uh, one of uh, probably her last book, which has been published uh, a few weeks ago, uh, Ostro, uh I think still awaiting to be translated in English uh that will happen so on that note i would like to say that the book's been translated by alex zucker but also i'm very pleased that uh for the conversation and discussions this evening uh we're gonna have here uh not only a moderator and chair of discussion but by uh himself but grant james uh, brown who, uh, in his first book that he has written, uh, Aaron Polis has received uh, and been shortlisted for two prestigious prizes. One is the Oval uh, Prize and, uh, and for the Portico Prize. Uh, and uh, James will lead to the conversation uh, with, with Bianca here. So uh, I wish you enjoy it. And that I would like to turn the floor uh, to both of you.
1: Hi there. Uh, yeah, um, I echo that. Um, thank you all for for choosing the to come here. Um, tonight it's really, really um, wonderful. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm Glenn. I'm really, really happy to kind of uh be here. I've been looking forward to this a lot because it is a really, really wonderful book. Um, so read track from the lake, and then we're. going um discuss different aspects of of the novel and her work and um, and then at the end we're going to throw everybody so if you have some questions uh that pop in your mind while while we are talk yeah keep those in mind because you'll have a little a chance at the end to ask her some questions uh okay without further ado i will pass you over to uh bianca who's going to read from her novel
2: Good evening. Thank you, Glenn. Thank you, Przemysl. Thank you for the wonderful invite, uh, for the welcome and introduction. I must say that I am even happier to be here. I'm delighted because uh, this was a, a bit of a challenge for me to to uh, have the book translated into English and it took years and uh, one bankrupt uh, publishing house for us <laughs> to get here. So. Uh, Uh, Quite honestly, I'm not sure why uh, you come to listen to me, especially on such a beautiful evening like we have today, but I hope you won't live to regret it. So let me start by an opening scene from the book, uh, which is about a boy uh, called Nami that we meet uh, uh, for the first time at the age of about three. The first part is called Embryo. Nami, bathed in sweat, hold his grandma blubbery hand. The waves from the lake slap against the concrete pier. He hears screams, more like shrieks, coming from the town beach. If he's on the blanket with his grandma and grandpa, it must be Sunday. It must be a Sunday. There's one other person there too. Nami pictures three dark spots, the three triangles of a bikini with a long dark trail tail of Hair hanging down, brushed out like the tail of a horse, and two dark tufts of hair visible in the underarms. The three triangles move slowly in the sun, turning over again and again, until there's only one. A little way offshore, a catfish lazily flicks its tail. The surface seems slower than it used to be, Nami's Grandma says, smacking a fly as it lands on her belly. She chews roasted sunflower seeds purchased from the stand on the beach, spitting the shells onto the concrete in front of her. What are you talking about? Nana's grandpa laughs. Women's wisdom, second worst thing in the world next to a hangover. He walks back and, fo- back, back and forth as he laughs, hands on his thighs. In one hand wedged between the dirty, chewed-up fingers is an unfiltered cigarette. The three triangles pick up the thermos, turn to Nami, and pour him a cup of mint tea. Have a drink, Duff. Well, yeah, what do you know? The three triangles have a voice. It's pleasantly deep, like the old well behind their house. Nami takes a drink. The honey-sweetened sweetened tea is delicious, sliding easily down his throat. Let's go, Duff, his grandpa says. You don't want anyone calling you a sissy. A boy around here can swim by the time they're three. He runs a hand over his rounded belly, flicks the cigarette, cigarette butt into the water where it lands with a hiss. Nami doesn't want to go in the water. He wants to lie on the blanket, resting his head on his grandma's soft belly and watching the three red triangles. He attempts to lift a hand, but it just drops lazily back on his lap. Go on, Nami, his grandma says. I'll buy you a lollipop. The cellophane always sticks to the lollipop. You can never get it off. The only time Nami Nami ever gets one is on World Peace Day or when the Three Triangles come to visit. He doesn't really like the taste of burnt sugar and violets, but he so rarely gets gets one that he always looks forward to it and is willing to do whatever he's asked. Nami slowly gets to his feet, but before he can fully stand, he finds himself flying through the air. Now swim sturgeon, his grandpa shouts, ber- bursting into laughter. The three triangles scream. So does Nami's grandma. Landing painfully on his side, Nami breaks through the surface and sinks down to the dark water. Looking up, he can see the faint shine of the sun in, in the swarm of bubbles trailing behind him. His lungs ache. He's had the wind knocked out of him. The deeper he sinks, the colder the water gets. Nami sings normally arms outstretched flapping at his side any second now he thinks he's going to see the lake spirit the pressure on his lungs grows his ears feel like they're about to explode instinctively he gasps for breath and swallows a mouthful of water he can't see anymore waving his arms and legs wildly he makes his way toward the surface everything is black and shiny stupid old fool his grandma says as Nami finally catches his breath, furiously coughing up, coughing up dirty water. You old ass, I wouldn't trust you with a can of worms. What's wrong? He's fine, isn't he? You saw the boy f- swim, right? Nami's grandpa says in a defensive tone, his voice is trembling slightly. A true warrior. Come here, Dove, the three triangles say from the depth of the earth, wrapping Nami in their arms, One pounding chest on another. Nami settles down and stops coughing. The skin beneath the triangles is warm and bronze and smells nice. The three triangles hold him close, kissing his, his hair and speaking in whispers. The woman's hair tickles his face and she begins to sing. Stop singing to him, Nami's grandma shouts. Nami shudders then lies still, not moving a muscle. He pretends that he's dead, that he's not even there. The singing falls away to nothing but a thick sound with each exhale, like a bell's vibrations dying down after the clapper had stopped. Nami wishes he could stay that way forever. He steals a glance at the woman's face, but all he can see is the tip of her nose and her prominent cheekbones. As they're walking home, Nami faints and his grandpa has to carry him.
1: Thank you for that. That was wonderful. Um so you mentioned before uh, the the kind of difficulties it you've had in sort of um breaking into the English um language market, uh, your lake is your first one. Um but now finally like it is here, that's wonderful. Um so can you can you start just by saying what you know, what does it mean for your work to be available to English speaking audiences and, and what do you hope like these new readers will, will take from from the lake
2: i don't know what to hope in but uh the thing is when i was preparing for uh tonight and i was choosing the extracts i had to uh, read through it and it's been a while since it was published in Czech. but uh i, I was like uh, going through it and wondering did i really write this is that where did that come from and uh you realize how with uh uh, different translations; the text gets covered with like another kind of layer or camouflage. How it's like covers itself with a uh, with the language that is translated into, and it slightly changes. And I find that probably uh, the English-speaking readers will find different things relevant to them. As uh, uh, I believe that. Uh, Czech or Polish or, or, or say, uh, Hungarian or Latvian or whatever uh, readers find important. But I think, I believe that the book has different layers and different perspectives. Uh, and that uh, I'm quite uh, curious about what the English readers will say about that. Mm.
1: Yeah, uh, we'll. I think later on we'll touch about, we'll touch on the kind of the way uh, your book might kind of appear almost as a different book to to kind of depending on the country which it's read in. But um, sort of well, maybe following on from that question, um, you've said in the past that your 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 initial inspiration for the lake was uh, a series of um pictures. Or was it National Geographic or something like that? Uh, of Lake aro between um Kazakhstan and Uzbekistan um which was an enormous, enormous lake with thriving fishing communities. And then over time, due to irresponsible irrigation, it, it, um, it became a desert, 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 desertification. Um, but the, the, the lake in your book is not that lake and none of the geography is real. I remember when I was first reading it, I was trying, like, you know, searching on Google and I trying to, like, pinpoint kind of where this book is taking place because it seems so real Um, and then it it dawned on me that it it wasn't it was the geography all of it is the geography is is fiction and I was wondering uh, you what was your decision to do that I mean you had such a well of real things that you could have drawn upon but you you made that conscious creative decision to go another way I was wondering if you could uh, yeah tell me what your thoughts were there
2: I thought would be probably too strong word because I don't uh, think that much when I write, but uh, I didn't want to write a docu prose about Aral Sea. It was more about uh, an inspiration from which the story was taken. So uh, I saw those powerful images of the uh, Lake Aral or, or what, what it used to be. So you'd have a desert uh, with a with a uh, rusty uh, uh a rusty boat in the middle of it you know and 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 uh animals like camels grazing there uh in the shade of it and uh <clears throat> so that uh, struck me as a really powerful uh, set of images and then uh behind it this story of this little boy uh coming of age story uh where he has to find his his roots and his uh, uh reason for living uh uh became a part of it it was like developing naturally the 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 uh, lake and the environment deteriorates while the boy is growing up and he has to somehow take a part in that in that big story uh, so um for me it wasn't really uh i didn't want to write uh, about like aral however a lot of reviewers would, would call it a book about Lake Aral and uh, people who actually have been there in the, in the area uh, say that it's very uh, uh, did not believe that I have not been there and I made it up because it's quite uh, the description of it is quite uh, close to reality uh, but I find uh, not following the uh, the actual uh, uh, geography and uh uh, time that time history is probably good for me or for my stories to develop uh, i can focus more on the stories than on the actual history or on the actual place so for me it's a tool of developing the story
1: yeah yeah um i found that in the past as well sort of sometimes you find yourself almost limited by geography or limited by history or like you want to i don't know you have your idea for or, you know your own work and then you hit this wall when you like it didn't happen like that and then you know something's kind of got a give. so yeah uh well kind of following on on from that though sort of uh you were saying about you had your own story and and that kind of thing um in in the lake um in your novel sort of like the threat of um s- you know, physical violence, sexual violence, and um, by o- occupying Russian forces, the USSR, uh, it's an ever-present threat in your book. And um, I mean, there's a few pivotal kind of um, scenes where you know it affects the the main characters in major ways. And um, today, obviously, um, sadly, sort of, we are living again in a in a in a of um russian aggression in in ukraine they're waging war now um so how do you feel sort of sort of about the lake your your novel which you said you wrote a while ago how do you feel about it in this kind of current kind of geopolitical context it's sort of like um yeah that that kind of aspect of it is becoming is come. i think uh is like a major theme, and I just wonder how you feel about your your work now, kind of in this present moment.
2: Uh, I had a, a online discussion with students of Czech in uh, Bucharest a week ago, and they said, "Well, how do you how did you like predict this? And uh, you you have uh, there is another prediction and about the uprising in Kazakhstan. How did you like foresee it? Are you clever?" And i said uh, i'm really far from being a clairvoyant i just it's just pretty much a copy case, uh copy paste history you know that you see uh uh civilians being shot and and, and uh women being raped and and uh, uh people being bombed in ukraine and uh I, I i grew up in a country where at the end of the war uh, we were liberated by uh, the Red Army, which raped little girls unless they were hiding in the cellar. Who, uh, who uh, uh, at the end of the war, after the end of the war, bombed to the uh, town of Boleslav who in 1968 were uh, uh, kind of shooting civilians. So it's a kind of experience that you learn to live with, and you, if you live in the, uh, where I live, which is Prague, Czech Republic, formerly Czechoslovakia, uh, that it is a kind of um, Part of this bumper bumper area mm. uh, which somehow uh, has to deal with uh, what's coming from from the east and has has done for centuries and it's something that we have to bear in mind all the time, and even if like unconsciously uh, there's always this uh, presence of uh, power uh, imperial power which is willing to take whatever you like it to take
1: yeah um, I mean I think. Yeah, I think um, for, for, for new readers coming coming to the lake, I think it's going to be uh, with what's going on right now, I think um, it's going to be uh, as you say, it's almost like a pressing kind of novel, but yeah, uh, what you're saying, like also about it being a copy-paste kind of thing, there's a character uh, in your book called The Old Dame um, I loved her, but she says something like, in these strange times, idiocy is valued more than heroism and it 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 feels yeah i I, that feels like something that is never going to get old as well i think that's a kind of kind of cyclical thing Uh, but another aspect of your um novel which i found really really compelling was um you have sort of like you know uh, the aggression of you know war and kind of violence kind of cycling back Uh, as well but also climate change I think is like a really big um, sort of uh, part of this novel as well like the land itself is sort of drying up; it's turning and turning against people and I think you have you have the the book starts sort of like it feels like the past you know with references to the USSR that kind of thing and the land is still semi-fertile there's still water but as we move through the book it feels like we are tumbling forward in time like catastrophically sort of speeding up kind of thing and i thought that was just marvelous um and i was just wondering if you could think any more about um was that sort of like a conscious decision or not like to kind of you you stepped out of geography, but to step out of like time as well, or to just speed through time from past to present, into like the the, the the far future. I mean, was that something you consciously kind of did, or is that something that you just look back on and you just realize that's just what you did?
2: Uh, I I just pretty much looked back and speeded it up a bit, <laughs> uh, because uh, the the story of like Aral is in uh, um, uh, a. Sm- most of you probably know, is a result of uh, the uh, a Russian or Soviet plan to to uh, start growing cotton in the middle of desert. Therefore, they had to use the water uh, from the rivers supplying the uh, the lake for irrigation, and uh, the lake actually lost most of its uh, volume. So, the reality of uh, of uh, lake. The, the, Lake Aral is a lot worse than what it is in my book uh, because it's uh, shrunk to about uh, 10% of its original volume.
1: Yeah, I I, um, I looked at the, I don't know if there was the pictures that you used as inspiration or whatever. It was like satellite images yeah. from like, I don't know, like starting in the 70s, 80s, 90s. and st- okay. yeah, It's staggering, but it, it isn't just like, um, it isn't just the lake really, I think. Um, nami he goes on this kind of odyssey and like everywhere like there's it's it's like polluting factories and poisoned water poisoned food the air itself causes like people to break out in rashes it's it becomes really um like post-apocalyptic or something it's it was just a a really kind of i think the amount of themes and the amount of sheer amount of stuff I mean the, the world in here is huge and I think a lot of writers maybe would have you know like a, a five six hundred page book but the lake you went the other way you you somehow shrank down this all of these huge themes into into a reasonably small book and I think it's all the more powerful for that Um I'm quite interested in like as a writer myself I, I love hearing how and sort of how other people write, and you've said that you're an instinctual sort of like you'll you'll write something and then go like what what where did this come from kind of thing and i'm not necessarily like that myself i used to be more in the past but i had a lot of problems with it so i changed my mind a little bit so um what do you think the benefits of your approach are
2: well, the benefit for me is that I get a better text. <laughs> uh, I I used to be like that. I, I used to be uh, right, really intuitively, and felt it wasn't right, and I had to use more uh, reason and brain and plan better. But then I found out that it's uh, actually not necessary. And uh, if you let, if you trust your intuition, and if you let the story take you where it has to be taken, it's a bit like riding wild horse, you know, or riding a wave. You just follow the flow and try to uh, not fall off it, and be in control a little bit. Uh, I find that uh, this is the way that um, I tap into uh, something. I don't know what to call it, but it usually pays off, and it's very kind of physically demanding uh, activity. And I, w- I wouldn't say I use it all the time. As, uh, when I write short stories. Uh, that they're different uh, usually come from some sort of plot which has to have a point and some sort of development so it's very uh, it's, it's more like rational writing mm-hmm. but with the longer text with novels um, I think the uh, I'm finding out more that intuition is a good uh, lead
1: yeah that's great I mean for me sometimes I yeah I get kind of taken away mm-hmm. and then I'm like I've got Sixty thousand words or something i don't know what they say like i can't i can't shape them or something so i kind of get lost kind of in it but uh yeah it's when it works i think it it really does work i think um i think um would you like to uh read a, a second second extract and then after Bianca's read a second extract we'll um talk a little bit more and then uh yeah, we'll we'll throw it open to you guys. Um I didn't I don't have a watch. What kind
2: of time are we on?
1: Okay, so we got we we've gotta we got a bit more time before the QA. Uh
2: we're now in uh capital city where Nami found a job in a sulfur factory, uh where he has to uh work on uh doing uh putting tarmac down. And he's already uh in his teenage years. Nami's workmate Nikitich teaches him that if you sketch a diamond shape onto the asphalt surface quickly enough, it barely re- leaves a trace. Practically, the whole thing seeps into the base layer, which means you can only find it if you already know it's there. So the next time, Nami is left by himself with a freshly laid asphalt. He furtively draws his pain into it. His grandma's large hands, the curves of a female body, the hands in the stinky henhouse three triangles if he urinates on the drawings quickly his secrets remain in the road surface even if only in the form of a blurred illegible runes one time the foreman catches Nami in the act and slaps him in the face but he doesn't make him redo it so Nami's secrets stay safely hidden away in the bumpy asphalt till till the summer heat waves and winter frosts crack them apart and they are crushed beneath the sulfur trucks wheels with the whole sulfur complex asphalted through and through, and the entrance road as well, the only road still left is the one that runs from the warehouse to the lake and ends below the water level. As Nana stands smoothing the asphalt over the road with his rake, it's a hot summer's day. He's wearing thick work boots and greyish pants covered with drop of drops of tar, with his shirt tied around his head. Sweat runs down his naked chest. Nikitchen sits in the shade, pouring water over his head from a plastic bottle, and then he, t- which he then tosses over his shoulder. Nikitich is a nice guy, about 35 years old, with a growing ball spot he covers up beneath a baseball cap. He likes to say he got his degree from the University of Life. He reads newspapers and loves to philosophize. Given his spotted education, he often arrives at erroneous conclusions, but there's nobody to argue with him. Nami looks up. The sky is blinding. To the west, he sees dark cloud. He sees a dark cloud over the desert, and is getting bigger and closer. Hey, Nikitich, what's that? Nikitich sits up and tips back his cap. Well, what the fuck is that? Nami, woozy headed and sleepy, leans on his rake. The cloud is slowly coming closer and growing in size. Nikitich scratches his belly. Man, and these locusts. Nami begins to pick out individual dots in the cloud moving toward them. Holy cow, I've never seen that in my life, have you? Nikitich says with a childlike breathlessness. Nami shakes his head. He's never seen anything like it, though his grandma told him stories about how the locusts descended on Boros once and consumed every single thing growing on that little patch of land. All the food they had stored in the reserve, even the schoolchildren's snacks and the radio cables. Nami can can make out their bodies now, wings and outlines, outlines of black legs as the locusts start descending to earth by the thousands. He has a dozen of them on top of him before he even realizes it. He brushes them off hysterically. Most of them touch down on the still hot asphalt, where they get stuck and die far too slowly, cheering at an unbearable volume. You monsters, cries Nikitich. You screwed up my whole road. The locusts' bodies dry out and mummify in the heat, and the remains are left poking out of the asphalt surface till winter. The road looks like a 500-metre-long carpet dreamed up by some wild designer. Not a single car ever drives by. Only Nami goes for a stroll along the road every now and then, enjoying the strange melody of the dead insect bodies as they crunch beneath his soles.
1: You know, I was, I was, I'm really happy that you, uh, you read that part. Yeah, you know, I remember when I, that little, the part at the end about the kind of, uh, the locusts that descend and stick on the asphalt and he just walks up and down them crunching. I remember I underlined that when I was reading, It was just like amazing. Um so, yeah, that was maybe one of my favorite parts there. I mean, I think it kind of, um, that's a really, really sort of great kind of maybe little scene that kind of encapsulates this book i think it it feels really really modern in as much as we are you know uh we're in a world where full of just like really really polluting factories that sort of poison the air poison the the ground um and that's something you know it's very very modern but at the same time there's something really biblical about that like the the locusts and stuff, and it it you know it harks back way way back and there's a there's a through line there, sort of like from the kind of ancient kind of biblical times or almost like archetypal kind of times, like through to the kind of modern day um to show where we are now, and like your book just really 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 has that uh kind of strange quality about it, and it's it's really marvelous in that respect, and there uh, yeah um, just really, really I mean, we're talking sort of like about a book sort of that is about the 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 past kind of in the present um i mean, what kind of role it's kind of a heavy question, but what kind of kind of role does literature and especially literature in translation, i think maybe even more like what kind of role do you think? it has you know to play in fighting back against sort of this destruction and this violence that we do like human violence but like ecological violence as well i mean do you think like literature is primarily a method of making sense of what has happened or you know can it change things in the present can it change things in the future like sort of how much of a role does kind of fiction have to play it's, it's kind of a heavy question
2: well it's like a uh, all-night all question uh, you should mention that uh, uh, my recent book called Ostrov or the island is dealing precisely with that with telling stories and what it means to people and uh, it's Dealing with all sorts of stories, uh, from biblical to is uh, uh, Oriental to uh, <clears throat> Viking stories, and all the, all the things that were uh, that our culture uh, was built upon. And I think it's uh, this kind of storytelling, uh, um, passing on the narratives, which, in the at the end of the day, if you, if you If you recognise some something from the Old Testament there, then it's probably that then it wasn't intentional. But at the end of the day, you just keep recycling certain certain stories, certain narratives, because uh, somehow they have a there's something in them why people should uh, keep passing them on. Uh, Maybe it's a a learning. uh, Maybe it's teaching uh, teaching you how to how to survive. Maybe it's trying to put uh, figure out. Uh, the chaos around you, and put it into words, and trying to put sense into it, uh, or maybe it's uh, there to, to to give you hope. If you if you, if you remember the uh, story, at the beginning of the uh, Russian invasion to Ukraine, the story of the uh, Snake Island, uh, where this uh, <clears throat> that was a very a very successful media story about the uh, defenders of the island uh, being asked to uh, to give up. And they said, uh I quote, uh Karabu uh military ship go to wherever. And uh they didn't uh didn't give up and uh, the, uh they got uh, shot instead. So whether or not that was true uh it's not really relevant, and it, turned out that it probably wasn't exactly the, full, the precise story, but the power of that, the motivational power of that story um, and winning a large part of the uh, uh, Western opinion uh, for the Ukrainians was uh, e- extremely powerful, and to me, as a, as a, as a reader of such a story or listener to, of such a story, it was very satisfactory
1: yeah yeah definitely and yeah i think uh yeah the these kind of these kind of stories you know they are kind of really inspirational and yeah maybe they do tap into something sort of i don't know like that goes deeper to to people and i guess maybe that kind of kind of fits in with your kind of method of sort of writing you know like like your subconscious take over because those stories i guess they're inside you they're inside me and they've been passed down and passed down and in that way they kind of keep resurfacing maybe they would they resurface more uh when you just kind of you know take your hands off the wheel and let your kind of you kind of um your kind of um subconscious take over um but could you tell me like the the sort of like most i don't know like the i guess the most difficult part of writing this book just i mean maybe in terms of you know that process or just physically um i don't know like i, I don't, I've, I've never met a writer where they say oh yeah i wrote that book oh man it was, it was a breeze was there's always something there's always some wall you hit so could you what was it with
2: uh, I, I don't really feel like that when writing. It's like for me, it's an adventure, and it's uh, probably the most satisfactory thing I can do if I manage to tame down a, a text, a story, um, to uh, shape that I uh, think is right, that is perfect. And through through the writing, you feel incredible energy and adrenaline rush. Um, uh, so for me, writing is really a reward. Um, it's maybe the editing that I really dislike uh, afterwards, so having to to change it or rewrite certain bits and uh, and the uh, and cleaning the grammar and stuff like that afterwards. That's that's a boring, bit that I don't like. But otherwise, uh, and, and I also write them really short, which is good.
1: No, well, I I quite like the editing part. I'm a fussy I'm a fussy man, so. Um... But then that's really great to hear, though, because I always, I mean, while I think, yeah, while it can be kind of difficult sometimes day to day, you know, you kind of, for me personally, kind of like racking my brains or something like that, it's always, I'm always slightly suspicious of the kind of, you know, like, you know to create art is a torture yeah, it, it's not i think it's yeah. a freedom and it's a joy i think yeah
2: i think it should be otherwise why, why, why bother
1: yeah there's <laughs> absolutely no point
2: if you go to a, a bookshop here or uh, anywhere there's like thousands of books hundreds of thousands of books already written so why should you torture yourself to write another one
3: yeah <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah that's it. Uh well speaking of which, um I, I'll just ask one more question and I think we'll hand it over to the um to to you guys. Can you talk about well, you see you've had a, your your most recent book has just come out, uh but that's probably a little bit in the rear view mirror as well. Um could you talk about your sort of current project or projects or anything kind of bubbling?
2: well um, my last book uh, came out a month ago so it's really very fresh for me and uh, I'm taking a a creative break now uh, because I think that uh, my creative energy has to recharge batteries for the time being so I'm enjoying not having to write anything I get uh, uh, commissions from time to time to write a short story or something so I do that but it's just fun
1: well um I'm going to hand it over to you guys.
2: Thank you once again for reading and for being here today. Um, I read the blog of the translator and she said how important or how difficult it was to translate food as part of the story. And I wondered if you had any themes that came through that you communicated through foods and, and family meal times and, and how that was uh, an important part of the book. Uh, I did... Uh, I have a, a, a lot of uh, uh scenes evolving around food because I think food is uh, very important and I think that uh sometimes uh, the reviews hold it, hold it against me that I do use a lot of uh, uh scenes uh, which are quite physical so, so they involve like very physical things like sweating or urinating or eating uh, but I do find that it is a good way of uh, making the text sound authentic and food is just such an important part of our lives that uh, it just has to be there
3: Hello, thank you very much for doing this Um, I would like to pick up on a translation trail. Um, Your English is wonderful, amazing and I was just thinking that every language is very culturally specific and translation is also a art of rewriting and recreating a book in a way. Were you not tempted to translate the book yourself? And if not, how did your work with a translator look like? Um, because Slavic languages are very much culturally related And translating it into English as in any other language makes it more approachable to the other culture, however, it changes it in a way. So, I would like to ask you about the process of working with a translator and how much influence did you have on the translation? Were you very picky? (laughs) Did you quarrel? How did it look like? (laughs) And the question was uh, whether I would have wanted.
2: To translate it myself.
3: Have you ever thought about translating it yourself into English? Into English, right. yes. And um, if you, des- when you decided not to, how did you work with a translator? Uh, it wasn't really
2: a decision. It wasn't a question for me to. to uh, to answer uh because I'm not good enough to to translate into uh another language honestly I think that uh there is a reason why people when mo- translators mostly translate into their native tongue um I haven't got the uh ability and the lingo to do so uh and I think you know uh, you have to live in the context to 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 be able to translate it really truly and um it is interesting the question about translation uh, because I work with uh, different translators in different languages and uh, with some of them it ju- it's just a match, like in Italy I found my uh, another sister and she's so very much like me that she understands the way I'm thinking that, and she actually had a, uh, her say or her, her impact on uh, finishing my last book uh, so uh it is very much uh, uh you find that the more the translator asks you questions the more he cares about the text um sometimes i realize that the book had been published without me even knowing who translated it so that happens also and uh, uh i guess in some some uh um ways it cannot be avoided because uh Quite honestly, I'm not a um, mainstream selling uh, or bestseller selling author. So uh, from from a major language, it's quite the opposite. You always have like uh, quite very very little translators working uh, translating from Czech. So it's usually the uh, top uh, five maybe who would translate it. But in some countries, uh, the audience would be so small uh um they would sell probably like five hundred uh books and consider it uh, an achievement or even less uh so mm-hmm. with that kind uh, with that in mind it's uh not really um uh, you can't really choose your translator very much uh but working with alex uh zucker okay. mm-hmm. i was uh he could tell that he's mm-hmm. the one who really cares about the text he kept sending me uh questions uh and he would say, like, what is a Zapraji? How would you describe it in uh, in English? Is it this or is it that? And we ended up sending each other photographs of what Zapraji actually looked like. Um, so uh, I think it was a, uh, he worked really hard on it. He's a really diligent uh, translator, uh, but it differs. I have some uh, uh, best friends amongst some of my translators, and I think it's like a friendship for life, because they help... Uh, my uh, texts uh, take them over the over the bridge to another language, and it's not just a sheer translating of words. It's just like uh, basically reintroducing it into another language.
3: Um, thank you so much uh, for this, Bianca. I'm, deli- I'm I'm really delighted that the lakes finally made it into English. It's um, a wonderful book um, that I've really enjoyed reading in in Czech and in English. Um, and the thing that really strikes me with it is. Um, how strong the characterization is? It you've got this cast of really carefully drawn characters. Some of them um, almost seem to be archetypes. Um, and I was wondering how you um, how you conceived of them. Where did those ideas come from? Um, and if I can just add another little question to that as well. A lot of them are very strong female characters. Um, and and where did you know, where do the influences and things come from for them? So thank you very much.
2: Uh, that is a very good question, and I'm afraid the answer's not going to be uh, very good, because the question is, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know where they come from, but I believe it's something, uh, uh, something quite subconscious, and I did find, uh, looking back at my characters in, uh, um, across my books, that uh, it is quite typical of them that uh, they have strong female characters, especially grandmothers, and uh, quite wimpy men. <laughs> And I don't know why why that is. <laughs> whether it's some life experience, whether it's some sort of reaction to uh, whatever's going on in the society uh, about role of men and women, um, I couldn't honestly answer. Thank you for the kind words.
3: The the book is so full of really vivid scenes, and some of them I could just see them and. and They really are imprinted on my mind, like, you know, those animals on that island or the caged monkey. But a lot of it appears quite filmic, and I was just wondering if uh, anyone has thought of turning it into a film.
2: Uh, There was uh, some discussions with some production companies, but we have not come to any agreement yet. Tarkovsky is dead, as you know. (laughs)
1: Uh, Could you tell us how you managed to bankrupt your publisher?
2: (laughs) Uh, I I actually don't know, it was, with all due respect to Parthian, (laughs) it was a very uh, small publishing house which appeared really friendly and they really enjoyed my book and they were so looking forward to working together and then months later they went bankrupt. (laughs) I have no idea how that happened. I do have a, a history of bankrupt publishers.
3: Yes. <laughs> so, if I may, a question to Glenn, because uh, you are familiar with some books by Slovak writers. And uh, I just wonder, comparing that to Bianca's book, whether you see any similarities or whether you feel that they're all very different. I mean, the, the three writers that you met are all very different from each other as well, but still. Uh, do you feel some kind of a connection there from the Czechoslovak times?
1: Yeah. Um, I think maybe going back to to, to what Bianca was saying about uh, strong, um, well, sort of... Um, like, sort of... Uh, in those books that you were talking about, there was a lot, again, sort of... Um, uh, sort of like the the threat of sort of like you know uh, occupational forces were kind of sort of uh, the the threat there. But um, also what Bianca was saying about sort of like strong strong grandmothers, I think, or strong 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 um matriarchal figures. Not necessarily you know uh, relations, but just friendships or or neighbors or or something like that. There was a kind of feeling of you know like women taking care of women you know like neighbors and that kind of thing and it kind of ran really deep and it felt really kind of powerful and strong so that was a definite kind of thread there i think which yeah came across in in those uh, slovak uh, books as well but also um yeah bianca's work here
2: and I just add something to it which is not uh, directly related to your question but to what uh, Glenn had said about uh, matriarchal um, society or, or how uh, the structures that it establishes is, is something that uh, strong, very strongly uh, noticed about uh, the uh, influx of uh, immigrants, which… Uh, uh, from the Ukraine, uh, which we now have in the Czech Republic. And we do uh, actually, uh, we are involved in some sort of activities with the immigrants and majority of them are women, as, as men have to uh, stay back and fight. And uh, they're children obviously, um, and this is something quite fascinating when you watch them, because uh, they are incredibly powerful. Um, they have uh, this strength which is like really kind of archetypal they, you see them like uh, standing there waiting for uh, food or, or activities, they have taken up check lessons and uh, they have to start new new homes uh, they have to uh, get everything because they came with basically nothing so they have to from sheets to pots to uh, food uh, sanitary products and There is uh, you don't see them whine, Uh, you don't see them complain. They're very grateful, and they immediately created all these structures of self-help, and also with the help of uh, Czech people, uh, who are who immediately like established kind of uh, informal structures for them, and uh, it is something that for me is really. I wouldn't say surprising, but uh, suddenly you see a uh, woman power at work, and it is, uh, you don't want to stand in the way. It's really, really powerful. On that theme, Bianca, can you imagine writing about the current situation in a future book with Ukraine in mind? Uh, I think it's an incredible opportunity for the creative people because. Um, it is uh, something real it's a real conflict real drama and it's something that we haven't uh, been experiences any, uh, been experiencing in europe for the past 70 years since the end, end of the war and uh i think it is uh really a very fertile ground for for big stories for uh not only stories but also like films music etc uh, art in general i don't know if it's going to uh, uh, affect uh, my next book, but certainly that uh, uh, feeling of imminent threat and uh, uh, reprioritizing your uh, life uh, in general and in uh, will will certainly have to reflect in the uh, in the work of more creative people as you know that uh Tolstoy didn't write uh peace and war until after about 60 years after napoleon's visit
0: <laughs> okay uh so it seems you are coming to to the end so it was a lively discussion uh and i think full of you know, thoughts provoking and inspirational uh ideas not only about the books i think in in general and also uh, underwriting uh so if you please join me in the round of applause for rank and bianca and uh, before we're gonna break for the glass of wine or i guess czech uh, beer it should be appropriate uh, here for some more informal discussion i would like to uh, mention one other event which is coming here very soon which is this weekend on um, sunday uh as we were discussing Ukraine, uh there will be a fundraising event auctioning uh artwork from the Czech and Slovak artists, which is organized here uh by the uh Czech and Slovak school uh okay you are all cordially invited and if you need some more information another person right here you can clearly ask her the the auctions is taking place and the event uh this Sunday afternoon here at the the Czech embassy and also thank you very much for the publishing house uh, party there are some books uh, which can be sold uh, and of course uh, the lake as well and uh, I should conclude wishing all the best uh, to the to the book here, now in the UK, but I guess to all English-speaking uh, readers around the globe. And thank you for thank being. You, thank you, with Czech us.
2: Center, for having me. Thank you, Glenn, for the wonderful moderation, and thank you all for not walking out. Mm-hmm.